I think in the morning we stopped with the choices before us. And very frankly, if we really look sincerely into the heart of the matter, there are very few options. As I said, we, we, we can believe that this world is merely a material phenomena which has come into existence, rolling itself indefinitely. Where does it leave us? In that case, the most sensible thing is to do is to find some quick means of maybe just getting out of this meaningless story which is an absurdity. But there is an intuition within us that, no, there is something to it more than what we can perceive, think, understand. We may not always use the word divine, but there is something. That's why we try to give a little meaning in our life. We believe that something like a meaning exists, like a purpose exists. Of course, we have another option which is given to us that, well, this world is an illusion and we have to get out of this illusion. In a certain sense, there is a some degree of truth in it. The truth is that this world is not what it appears to be. It is a distorted appearance of a reality. And we are playing with this distorted appearance and because we don't perceive it rightly, therefore all our responses are also not the right responses. And here when we use the word right, we have to distinguish it between the morally right and wrong and from the higher standpoint. Moral right and wrong is a framework we make to navigate ourselves through the appearances. It's a mental system. It has its own utility. And man can seldom escape it in his evolutionary journey. But it's just, it's still based on appearance. It's not based on a deeper truth. It's a make-believe system. But to make the right response, we must first perceive rightly. See things as they are. And that is a big challenge, big difficulty. So we can also wait, let it take its own time. Which means that time to time we will be shifted out of a comfort zone. We will become a plaything in the hands of forces. That is also not a good predicament. So for us, ultimately, the sooner we consent to this process of spiritualization, as the mother puts it, of this divinization, this great change, the better it is. Why delay when we know this is the goal? It's all right, so long as we don't know. In a certain sense, uh, in Savitri, there is a very beautiful line. When the divine comes, the light comes, Shubhinda says it teases. We don't like it. It's like a child who is sleeping and we wake, wake him up. He was having a nice dream or whatever. He was in his own world where he didn't have to make any effort. 
But when we wake up to a new reality, we have to make some effort. And that's something which it, it pushes our laziness, all our fixed anchors. We have to let go of them and begin to move. And so, there is a tendency, if we introspect very deeply within us, there is a tendency not to wake up. It's the same child syndrome. You know, I don't know how it happens here, but in India, mothers, one of the big problem, challenging tasks for all mothers is to wake up their child in the morning. I don't know if it's a universal problem, but... Universal, universal right. <laughs> it's a big challenging task. It's the f- biggest task, actually. After that, <laughs> it runs on auto. <laughs> After that, this child will go its own way. But to wake up is a very difficult task. So sometimes when mothers come and complain that, you know, you know, my child, this is a big problem, he doesn't wake up. <laughs> so, um, in a certain sense, sometimes when you are in a jovial mood, you say, well, much like us, he's simply replicating adult behavior. No, no, we wake up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We wake up, we wake up to physical reality, but do we really wake up? So, if we wake up, then the problem starts. We can't wait and linger and, you know, dally with things. We need to make some steps in that direction. What are those steps? There are three barriers, if you really look very closely... What comes in the way of that great change? One, of course, is the ego self, the small little identity, the surface personality to which we cling. And sometimes we cling so tenaciously. And so many occasions come to shake us out of it, but we cling to it. We almost, that's what... I am, you know, in in Indian army, this is a problem because, you know, when people grow old and they retire from the army, it was a very nice life. I've been from the Air Force, so I'm just, you know, connecting with it. And there is a tendency to tell old tales. <laughs> you know, when I was on that border and when I was in that war, the war is over, but I'm still living that personality because I'm fixed to it. So we all confine ourselves. This ego self limits us very badly, but we don't realize it. And that's why when people get close to each other, it's the source of many problems. Leave aside the big change, divinization, supramentalization, but even for practical life, it's such a big hurdle on the way. Two people, when they begin to live close to each other, it begins to rub. My way or your way starts with this. I am right and you are wrong. And you know, it, it, it gets in the way of everything. The joy of life, the harmony, the beauty, the simplicity, the natural response we can make to truth. All that is gone because of this ego sense. So even logically, if we see, 
this is our real disease in fact it is the dis ease all our dis ease is because of this ego sense and what is it composed of you really look at it that out of the vastness we have picked up a small set of ideas thoughts feelings impulses based on parentage based on things we have picked up from environment based on affinities with certain aspects of nature and we call it myself and all the rest is not myself and then the whole struggle starts but if we look at all this complex diversity of creation of people with whom we get in touch with as different aspects of the one self at least that is easy enough that's not difficult that's within the realm of possibility and it becomes easier when we go deep inside and we discover the commonality of our aspirations deep inside in our heart every day it's it's a very good practice to just sit quietly and try to go within we are often told oh, how do i go within start moving the road will open it's not something like a fixed way for each one and every one what counts is the sincerity if we wish to go within the within will pull us in that is very keen to get us inside you have to just sit quietly and just try to go within and then we discover another self which is not our ego individuality something which has within it the possibility of universality we begin to see it in others in everyone as today morning we were reading we love what common hearts repel and dread we see the diversity as aspects of ourselves and it becomes very beautiful to connect with creation in that way because this essence is present in all things the second big problem is the desired self it diverts the messages that come from inside it it ties us to the surface desired self becomes active when we engage with life through the senses and the surface consciousness deep inside it's quiet simply because when we look at the from the sensory point of view we want to recreate this sense of universality by having and getting and acquiring and possessing but when we look at life from the depth then there is no need to do that absolutely no need nothing really belongs to us and in another sense everything really belongs to everyone we can look at any which way and it makes life so beautiful full of trust full of joy full of ease and peace this tendency to all the time strive and struggle to have this and have that goes away desire self is what ties us to the outposts of life and diverts the straight route of the will fragments it and so the very often people ask that you know how to strengthen our will we know what is the right thing to do but we we are unable to do it 
because the power of the will is fragmented into million million des- desires if we just quieten the desire cell we'll see the will will become strong it will have the capacity to move mountains literally to move mountains but it has to be gathered at one single point that's what happens to people who are one pointed in what they want to do that's what is called sincerity to become one pointed when we want too many things it doesn't work out maybe we have a little 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 bit of everything and that little little bit never quite satisfies us so this is the second big problem not which ties us the desired self the third challenge that we have is of course of the mind the big monkey i know it all all of us know everything about everything <laughs> where is room for new knowledge <laughs> but the higher knowledge comes when we know that we know nothing and very strangely when we acknowledge that we really don't know that there is scope of a ray of light coming within and illuminating the corners otherwise it doesn't find enough room it tries to enter but it sees that everything is all the time moving jostling whole lot of thoughts that's why the mother would advise as morning we were hearing that to quiet in the mind this is a very basic these are very basic um, exercises if we like to put it but with very deep far reaching implications just to quiet in the mind and see what it takes it runs about and if you look at it what does it run about around the same sensory objects in which it is engaged during its waking hours they don't leave us so what do we do the gita advice is a very wonderful practice and i i found it very very useful and that practice is simply the practice of nishkam karma do our bit leave the rest because anyways the results are not in our hands the most logical thing ever told <laughs> you don't need really the divine to come down and tell us this but when shri krishna says leave the results in my hand i sometimes feel that he has come down right to our kindergarten level and telling us stuff which if we just apply a little bit of a logic we can see that it's so true result of any given action depends on many other actions which are impacting the play of forces it's it's a fact i may decide that you know i am going to reach out there at this point of time and i am doing everything from my side but i can't control the traffic i can't control other people's reactions i may go for an interview very well prepared looking the smartest man upon earth but i can't control the other person's <laughs> reactions and you know his preferences his likes and dislikes there's no way we can do it this trying to control the results leads to a trying to control people situations and we fail and we feel frustrated and we again try and we fail and we feel frustrated we are trying to change everything and everyone just to fit into our budget <laughs> it doesn't work out it leads to only increasing anguish 
that we children are smarter they don't try to control their parents they simply go their way <laughs> they have learned the lesson at least they have grown wiser <laughs> we still try to control control destinies control and all this leads to so much of chaos inside so much of peace just goes away in this kind of wasted effort we can't control let's accept it if we are not dealing with a field of material science where you know all the forces and you can project a rocket in space and it is the same tendency the moment we go into the realm of life we cannot control because a new thing has come in which doesn't allow this you can't calculate all the forces something incalculable enters with the coming of life a kind of freedom and flexibility when we enter the domain of mind intentions we just cannot control because we don't know that's a whole whole plane where we have no no outreach so simple thing like doing nishkam karmas doing our best leave the result it may be to our liking it may not be to our liking so what do we do when things are not to our liking the easiest thing is to complain god is bad i believe he doesn't hear as if his only task is to keep on responding to everything that we say and say yes perhaps he has heard perhaps he is wiser perhaps he is loving and compassionate so he has denied so it's cool. we are we do that and then we project all these ideas so let's do our best and then leave it in god's safe hands it makes life so simple so easy that's what mother and shubindo would want us to be not complicated beings mind is created endless complications all the time trying to have cause and effect in but finally the knot the real knot which mother heroically wrestled with is the knot of matter it's the biggest knot big challenge our consciousness is entrenched in matter and it doesn't allow easily to escape from its confines let alone transform it that of course is a very different chapter altogether but at least this much we can do so before we get on to questions let me read just one small little passage very beautiful people say that you know mother shubindo are very difficult very complicated either they have not read or they have read the life divine only <laughs> i am i am sorry these are the only two logical conclusions if one has read mother's writings one will see how simple and direct they are least complicated and so simple see touches the problem gives us a very very simple solution almost one feels as if it's she is taking us to a state of effortless ease so here we read something you know we are surrounded by complications 
But there is always a place where it all opens out simple and straight. This is a fact of my experience. What creates the complication? The mind. It's a big twist and turns and and then the desired self, I want it this way and then the ego self with its rigidity. Otherwise life can be so smooth like a stream flowing to the divine. You go around in circles, seeking, working at it and you feel stuck. Then something in the inner attitude gives way and all of a sudden it opens out, quite simply. And Shurbindo says repeatedly, insistently. What does he say? Be simple, be simple. Say simply what you feel. Be simple, be simple, insistently. These are only words, but as a matter of fact, when he spoke these words, it was like a path of light opening up. And everything became very simple. Just take one step after another, that's all we have to do. That's how it seemed to me. Of course, we'll always say, Mother, but being simple is a very complicated process. (laughs) That's because we have... Made it so complicated. When Dara came to ashram, mother gave him a very simple work. He said, mother, what should I do? Mother said, be happy. (laughs) After two days he came back, mother, it is very difficult. Give me some other work. (laughs) Very difficult. Be happy. People often ask in the ashram context. They say, tell us there must be some miracles happening in the ashram. Tell us about some miracles. So I recount two miracles for sure. There are many miracles, but two miracles. One is that we fall in love with someone we have never seen. I have not seen the mother physically with these eyes. But I know this much. That all the love of all the world on one side of the balance scale and a drop of her love on the other side, this drop will wave more. How do I know it? How do many people there know it? Well, it can be said it's a mystery. But definitely falling in love with someone we have never seen, it's a mystery. It's a miracle. And the second miracle, for some reason everybody is happy. <laughs> Why they are happy? <laughs> God knows, it's one of the things which strikes. Monodharzan, the famous physicist who had come to ashram, he remarked this. He said, it's very strange, everybody is happy. It's so difficult to, you know, we have lost this habit of happiness. As a child we have it, we lose it. We rediscover it when we become a child again. Before the immensity, what else can we become but be simple? Look at the immensity of this universe. Vast. Throbbing with multitudinous, countless stars, galaxies, systems. 
who knows what kind of lives what kind of beings and this is only the material universe drifting billions and billions of light years in space look at this vastness and then many such universes which have been emerging and vanishing in cycles of time into what from where do they come and where do they vanish stars which are born and die whose light we see today are already dead stars how does it all happen and then we are filled with wonder and then when we look at all this what do we do we have a choice and the choice is simply to surrender it's so before this immensity this vastness and then what does that do it picks us up and says look my child i am in you i have become you matter is over and so she says be simple it's curious all the complications seem to be there mother touches her temples all oh, this is the complicating machine <laughs> the box very complicated very difficult to adjust and then when he said be simple how strange it was like light coming from his eyes as if one had suddenly emerged into a garden of light it gave that impression like a garden bathed in light such great insistence on the simple thing say simply what you see or what you know simple simple is simplicity it was all together the impression of a joyous garden be simple be simple that is what the mother insisted and when we look at the old time ashram inmates amazing how they expressed what deep inside they were experiencing that that was the end of the story be simple be simple the complications are there again she touches the temples it is hard and complicated and then a door opens be simple as if there were too much mental tension something here at the temples when you become simple you know like a child all goes well but you mustn't be afraid one of the attributes of brahman is it is fearless you mustn't be afraid neither afraid of falling ill nor of becoming imbecile nor even of dying you must be like this vast and quiet gesture like the sea if we could only have a feeling of smiling trust but to get that the consciousness must be as vast as the creation itself you are as vast as the creation and totally trusting this one phrase can be used for meditation just to conceive oneself vast is the creation full of trust in the divine 
full of this simple trust. Ultimately, it always boils down to this. He knows better than we what has to be done. Such simple sutras. He knows better than we what needs to be done. If we could smile, it would be so much easier for the divine to act upon us. So people often ask, what is this yoga? How is it done? What can one say? She does the yoga. We have to just offer ourselves. Allow it to be done. That is the sign of a spiritualized consciousness. It becomes full of humility. Because one of the first things one realizes in the spiritual realm is, unlike the hardness of the mind which is closed within a room and therefore it thinks I am the king. As long as we remain shut within a room, it's like the frog in the well. It thinks it is the king because it has never seen what is beyond. But the moment we have a glimpse of the beyond, it brings humility. And when it brings humility, it opens a door and all the dark rooms are flooded with light. As simple as that. And she is ready to do it for each one of us. Provided we learn how to stay in that state. State of very conscious and glad surrender. Not questioning at every step. Yes, knowledge will come. Obviously, it is an aspect of the divine. It will come. But it comes when we are open and receptive. The whole yoga has changed. It's not so much like making a great personal inner effort to enter into some deep or high state. That which we would access by going deep within has been brought right next to us, near us. Simple exercise. You know, we have such wonderful nature walks. Just for half an hour. It's just a little practice. Maybe in the evening we can try it. Of course, when I use the word try it, it's with a rider. <laughs> it's not to be done as a technique. Anything done as a technique loses its value. It should be an act of love. That is the difference between the tapasya done by the asuric consciousness. It's a technique to get something. But when it is an act of love, it's different. That's the difference between mother's cooking and cooking in a very good hotel with all due respect and... <laughs> Mother's cooking is mother's cooking. It's the same thing. Probably the same ingredients, probably less. But there is something added to it which changes everything and that's a drop of love. It's the catalyst, the ferment which leavens the bread. So just to try this for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. This is called supramental pranayama. <laughs> Please don't brand it. <laughs> To walk 10 minutes while simply feeling that we are breathing the divine. 
we are breathing the divine. Nothing like how many times do I breathe? How long do I hold? How many counts do I leave the breath? Simply breathing the divine. To fill our lungs with that light, that peace. Ten minutes is a long time. Few seconds are rejuvenating. But of course it needs that trust, that simplicity. If you raise question, no, no, but I am breathing air, how can I call it divine? Then it doesn't work. It has to be done with as an act of love. All yoga, sadhana, is an act of love. Seeking after the divine is an act of love. That opens the doors. It's not something mechanical, not a process. Just to love the divine, simply. Not because of what he can give us, simply because he exists. I don't know whether we should ask questions or not, but yes, I think we can have a few questions. Yes, please. You know, your talk raises a lot of questions in my mind. Yes. No, please, please. But first, uh, would you define for me, maybe with examples, the difference or the sameness of psych versus divine? Okay, that's a very good question. Psychic, you mean. It is the difference between the tree and the seed. They are one in a sense and different in manifestation. The divine is the origin, the source, the parent of the psychic. And the psychic holds within itself all the possibilities of the divine. It holds within itself all the consciousness of the divine as a tree is held within a seed. But it is the divine seed that has entered into the play of time and space. Through experience of countless moments strung across many lives, passing through death and afterlife and birth and death and afterlife, this seed begins to blossom. Just as a seed is first buried in the darkness and slowly it must emerge. In different stages, this seed needs different things. It needs light to grow into the divinity, its fullness of the divinity, but 
in its early stages it cannot receive the light directly it will burn away so the psychic receives filtered light just as a seed receives light through the dark layers of the soil so this is the first stage just as a baby in the womb receives everything from the mother but doesn't know its mother so this is the first stage which is shyobindo calls as the subconscious yoga when the psychic is being nourished by the divine presence but it is asleep and the surface consciousness doesn't know that there is the divine it's a stage necessary stage and nobody should uh, at that stage one should not be violently shaken up there is a time to wake up a child he can't wake up a child at midnight he'll have nightmares <laughs> it's good to sleep all right mother consciousness is watching over the baby then a time comes when the seed must burst out it is being drawn towards the light feels the warmth and wriggles through the soil so to we feel somewhere very indirectly because there are no two things there is only one but we are not ready to feel directly this one so how do we feel it indirectly so instead of saying tameva mata chapita tameva we say mother you are my god father you are my god instead of saying god is my father god is my mother it's <laughs> the first step we see that we look for that instead of saying oh soul beloved we look at the many forms and faces and say here is my beloved here is my beloved and we are running and chasing after beloveds but there is the one divine beloved but we are not ready for that directness so we have to go through these experiences of our humanness and through the human mask filtered through experiences of life we feel some touch indirectly and it's a necessary stage and the time comes when the mask is ripped off we are ready for the direct touch of the divine upon our life then we discover that he whom we were seeking so indirectly and through all these masks is there is the very stuff of our being the seed is now ready to grow into its full blown divinity and obviously in between a stage comes when it consciously begins to participate in the process so to get back to the question psychic is the seed divine seed with all the fullness of the divine potential within it which it must manifest through eons of evolutionary journey very nice shloka in the ishopanishad it says mrityum tirtva amritam ashnuti it's you know through death you discover immortality it discovers itself by passing through repeatedly through the door of death and when it manifests fully its divinity its full potential then it's a different thing it's one but this oneness there is a difference that is beautifully revealed in the story of kutsenindra both are going and traveling from earth towards heaven indra is the divine consciousness 
and as they are chit chatting as by the time they reach their destination they grow alike yet sachi can differentiate so human consciousness can grow into the likeness of the divine because of the presence of the psychic and yet there will be a subtle difference because this consciousness is only in the manifestation whereas the divine is both manifestation and the non manifestation it's a totality so that difference will always remain but whenever we speak of omnipotence omniscience we are talking of the manifestation otherwise it's held within so in the manifestation we can grow into the likeness we can practically it's a wrong word to use but become practically omniscient and omnipotent meaning thereby whatever is needed to know at a given point of time we can know it and whatever is needed to be done through a power of effectuation can be done that degree of divinity can unfold itself in a human life and then we say that the person has grown into the likeness of the divine it's a likeness so because psychic is the seed of the divine it spontaneously recognizes the divine which is that partiness which recognizes it's the psychic and that's why instead of complicating things by intellectually bulldozing people no you must pray this is the you know divine sometimes even in ashram we see bow down at the samadhi or eat the dining room food this not to be done it's not necessary when the time comes the soul will see and recognize it's not our task to do that we have to feed the soul with the right food not formula food we feed it through formula food how does what is the difference between formula food and that real food for the soul the formula food is all our conceptions which come through scriptures and books you know they are very good things but still they are formula food but the real food is just an atmosphere of love kindness beauty it just feeds the psychic if somebody lives in the presence of someone who is surrendered to the divine you don't have to do anything it is blossom because it's a natural food it draws the first hand without any mixture so divine is not something you pertaining to god or creator divine is within yourself it is yes yes provided we also say it is also within everybody else yes and as to god and creator we can use the word god and creator depend it all depends on the meaning we put into it very often when we say god it's a term which has been so much abused misused somebody who is outside creation somebody who is sitting with a baton in one hand and a lollipop in another so you know god brings to us conceptions of god so god is not the conceptions of god conceptions are mental representations images higher mind that's what morning we were saying what the higher mind has done it's the birthplace of religions the moment light comes higher mind turns it into representational images and fixes it there is a certain degree of hardness already beginning crystallization at the higher mind level and then the mind makes a further mess of it it picks up that rep- representation and takes it as the ultimate reality so what it does is not paint shiva but a caricature of shiva and calls it god now that's where the problem comes but as we begin to ascend beyond the higher mind or as these ranges begin to open and we begin to see we see that well the same reality can 
express itself through many representational images. And even if the entire creation we add up together, it will still not capture the entire entirety of the divine. That's why the great mystic poet Kabir has said, Saat samund to masi karon lekhani sab ban rai, dharti to kagat karu, hari kun likhana chai. Even if you use the seven oceans as ink and all the forests and the trees as the pen and all earth as paper, you cannot write the glory of the divinity. So divine always exceeds the creation. When we say that he is the creator, of course he is the creator, but not a creator who has created something from outside. His creation is an extension, an objectivization of the divine. That's why in ancient scriptures he is called as Chatus Padbrahman. So creation is not something separate from the creator. Creation is an extension of the creator in very subtle ways. Like for mothers, they say that a subtle umbilical cord is always attached to the child. And the word used in Indian thought is very interesting. Santan. Extension of consciousness. Tan. So there is the extension. Creation is an extension, an objectivization of the divine. All his possibilities and potentials are manifesting. But the problem is this manifestation is one in terms of space and time and therefore it's a graded manifestation. And so at any given point of time, if we take a small look at it, we can say, oh, there is so much evil. So how can it be divine? But actually if we look at the whole dynamic process of creation then we say evil is either good in the making or good in the passing. And that's where Shubindo comes with his master stroke that man is a transitional being. The manifestation is not yet over. Wait for the fullness to take place. The last act in the great drama of creation. And what is that last act? Since it is an extension or manifestation of the divine, it is bound to eventually recreate the divine in multiplicity. That's, that's how it is bound to be. But we are seeing at this point in space and time when it is yet not complete. Because manifestation in terms of what we experience, of course there is a plane of manifestation where uh, it's not yet entered the space-time Conantram, in which case it's it takes place in what is called as timeless eternity, where we have Trikal Drishti, where things have already manifested, but they have not yet entered into the overmind and below, where they have to be uh, actually take forms through a play of forces. But within the divine, the manifestation is already there. And therefore the divine knows what each one of us is going to become. And hence he acts based on that knowledge. But in this time-space continuum, it has to manifest through a play of forces, which is very, very complex. No doubt about it. And therefore, it takes time. It brings in a lot of pain, suffering, evil as passage on the way. Much of it because of a distorted or partial seeing, much like a child would call it evil when he is being born. He would say, so much suffering and pain. So that's how it's it's because we are unconscious, so we experience these things. 
so we can use the word god creator depends on how we you know uh, what meaning we put into it but yes the word god has been much misused so probably we can keep it aside you mentioned uh, uh, many universes yes even today the science yes believe there are many universes yes and maybe many earths like yes yes many other life mm. in, in different places yes now when you start thinking about it should we consider well is there a god or somebody creating all this or should we consider this beyond our comprehension we just surrender yeah either which way either which way but one thing is very obvious the appalling immensity of the universe fills us with wonder i think any person who looks at goes beyond the limited perception of one's ego self experiences this wonder one of the simple exercises and you know meditative practices is simply to look at the sky at night or to look at the ocean these are things which mother has herself said and to just contemplate look at the immensity of the universe it fills us with wonder and so to imagine that all this wonder has come into being with nothing as its base and support is a kind of absurdity it's like i read a book long back it's called the end of science where the question that science at the end asks why there is something in the universe instead of nothing if there is nothing really then of course buddha used the word nothing in a very special sense we have misused him misunderstood him and you know uh, anatma is it doesn't mean uh, non existence of the divine it means any concept in any concepts that we give so then we come to this second point that it is inconceivable as you rightly say that we can use the word inconceivable anirvachniya because beyond word speech at the same time there is one keyword though the divine is inconceivable to the mind unknowable to the mind yet he can be known and that's where yoga comes in otherwise there will always be a separation there is the inconceivable and there we are conceptions in time there will be duality what is called in indian thought is dvaitvad but advaita says that inconceivable is there but there is a possibility that we can become one with the unknowable and know by a secret identity and that's where the supermind comes in as a very uh, you know without the supermind we cannot know the totality of the divine it is the only instrument only consciousness which can give us the fullness of the experience of the divine if we see through the mind we will end up seeing fragments reflections this aspect that aspect god is love god is justice god is truth god is this god is that and then there will be fight between the vaishnavas and the shaktas and the shaivites and you know <laughs> this religion and that religion and so on not that you know they are all saying a truth even the materialist is saying a truth but there is no harmonizing consciousness but in the supermind there are all different aspects of the one reality so only the supramental consciousness can give us the fullness of experience of the divine and that's where uh, it's not that people often say oh many people have spoken about the divine so what's new about shirbindo well this is the newness so would you say 
एक्चुअली something on the basis of something else which uh, with is a big leap how has inconscient become consci- conscious so we will eventually through this process of logic reach a point where that it's conscious energy now if it's a conscious energy it's aware of itself it's aware of creation it's conscious now what really is a being being is not a form see we mix up two things formlessness and being Actually, if we look at the heart of things, even within ourselves, when I say myself, what is it? Myself, obviously not this physical form. In the dream, also I experience things. Say I dreamt of it. Now, who is this I? I don't see, and yet there is a sense of the self which is formless in a sense. It's a consciousness which makes me become aware of myself. So, when we use the word being, if it is a conscious force. by its very nature the moment we say it's a conscious force we imply it's a conscious being but this conscious being can take many forms and will exist even if all the forms were dissolved so there is the big problem that many time we think it's formless therefore it can't be being it is being though it's a formless being and yet it can take many forms to somebody in the west that energy can give a vision of mary mother mary to somebody in india it will give the vision of aditi or maybe durga it's the same being they are not two different beings so being and form are two aspects so other part that where is this being located where all is within now imagine a child who is in the womb and ask that child where is your mother he will say well you know isha upanishad i mean in the womb by wish like ashtavakra or they know isha upanishad how nice it be so the child would say tadejati tannejati tadure taduvantike tadantarasya sarvasya du sarvasya sibahiyat my mother she is above me my mother she is below me my mother she is front of me my mother she is behind me my mother is outside me and my mother is inside me what shall i say about my mother there is nothing in me which is not other than my mother even my very body is nothing else but my mother so this is the great experience which liberates us from all limitations so when we use the words above below they lose meaning in a certain state of consciousness still these words have their practical utility and that's where the beauty of indian thought lies and of course shubindra speaks about it 
when we are moving from one point to another in our ascension and evolution we have to use these as coordinates let's take an example of a ship navigating through a sea everywhere there is the sea what is evil today what yesterday was very valid in its own place and time the divine became animal the divine became stone shall we say that there is no divinity divinity in a stone of course there is but we have to move from a lesser manifestation of divinity to a greater manifestation of divinity and therefore we have to speak of ahead and above nothing else by above it means something which is not yet manifested is concealed in some layer of consciousness which is beyond our present mental cognition and therefore we may use the word above but it's a practical term we must know its limitation in a sense he is everywhere in everything he is the one who becomes stone and he is the one who becomes bird and beast and man shubindu says the master of existence lurks in us and plays at hide and seek with his own force so for our convenience we have to use this word we have to move from a lesser divinity to higher because this problem comes if everything is divine then how do you deal with this world it's true that in essence the seer and whom we regard as the criminal they are both divine in essence but it is also true and simultaneously true that we have to move on from the state of dark divinity to the state of brightness that's why in the vedas there is the image of diti the dark mother surrounded by aditi the undivided consciousness the luminous mother kali and gauri are two sides of the same mother so this is how we have to look at it they have their pluses they have their minus but ultimate truth is that yes all is the divine but we move from a lesser to a greater divine manifestation and hence we have to use these coordinates so that we are not lost otherwise it's possible like zen buddhist to say everything is divine it doesn't matter they don't use the word divine tao <laughs> so it's okay what i do it doesn't matter i may drink i may smoke and there is a truth in it but a truth which can easily turn into falsehood Yes, please. You know, in Jainism, I'm a Jain. Yeah. So they don't. They clearly say there's no God, just to be one with God, so one with divine, as you put it. So basically, uh, when in Hindus and other religions, God is a symbolic, basically, is it? Um, I think the being, being part. if we talk about being he is not just a symbol he is a being because the moment we use the word conscious force we have to bring in being because a force which is conscious of itself yes, like to be with yes so yes but the problem with the different religions is that many times they are speaking of a certain experience and giving it a conceptual language and this becomes a very big problem like buddhism i was saying buddhism speaks of anatma 
and people often take it that Buddha didn't believe in God. Now there is a very funny story about Buddha. It was not about believe in God or not. But the conceptions in which we trap God, that we have to get rid of. So there is a very nice little story which indicates it, that a man walked to Buddha and asked him that, you know, does God exist? I don't believe that God exists. He said, I don't believe that God exists. So Buddha said, you may be right, find out. Then another person came, he said, what is this? You are saying God doesn't exist? Of course he exists. So Buddha said, well, you may be right. So a disciple who was listening to both these things, he says, what are you doing? This will create confusion. You are saying God doesn't exist. You are also saying God doesn't, God exists. Don't you think this will cause confusion? Buddha said, yes, you are also right. (laughs) So you see, these are all conceptions. So when someone says God doesn't exist, well, the conception of God, because the moment we speak of existence, it depends upon how I define it. So in Jainism, as I have understood, little that I have interacted, I don't claim to have a mastery of religions or all the religions, but I have stu- done some study and seen it in Mother and Shubhendu's light. It's basically all these conceptions which we have to leave behind. And that is equally true in Shurabindu's yoga. You know, when we read Savitri, The Pursuit of the Unknowable, I wish sometime maybe, you know, we should read it. All these conceptions, they have to be left behind. They will drop off. In fact, they cannot sustain in that fire. The problem is that, is that the last summit of spiritual experience? This denial of creation, because it leaves a big hiatus. That if there is the inconceivable, whether we use the word divine or no divine or being, non-being, that's another term. Basically the unmanifest. It's different ways of saying the unmanifest. The problem comes, what is this manifestation? So, it's explained on the basis of a energy which is rolling itself and you know, where does it this energy come from? This is a very big hiatus, big, very big challenge. And in Savitri, Ashwapati faces the same challenge. Which Bindo faces the same challenge. Because he had the same experience through whatever route of the same inconceivable. Who you cannot shut him into any formula. Whether this religion, that religion, or no religion, you can't shut him into a formula. So what does he do? So then there is a very nice line. Maybe you know we should read this passage. Even as he stood on being's naked edge, beyond it all goes, naked edge. And then he experiences the Divine Mother. And maybe Narad would remember the lines, who took to herself world and nature and God, a being of wisdom, power and delight. So I think what is missing Because they have seen the static side of the divine, but not the dynamic side. They are leaning towards the Purusha. They are ultimately Vedantic in their origin, leaning towards the Purusha aspect. But they don't understand Prakriti or the Shakti, because they have not tried to understand it. Their goal was liberation, so they found it. But the dance of creation, they don't understand. You know this... 
this conflict is very beautifully narrated in shiv puran in the story of shringi rishi he cannot understand shiva with parvati he says this is not shiva this parvati should not be there i can't worship shiva is complete in himself why do we need to bring in parvati so shiva tries to you know give him the wisdom they both come and there is a gyan ganga flowing and then everybody takes a parikrama but he refuses to go around shiva and parvati goes around shiva and comes out so then shiva shows him the form of ardhanarishwar where he and the shakti are one so shringarishi becomes a little you know bumblebee and goes around shiva's head and comes back i don't accept parvati so parvati says okay i see that you are so keen in not accepting nature so i withdraw myself from you any collapses because there is they are one see where this earth this is the last reconciliation and i think they didn't need to re, they didn't want the to reconcile and that's where the problem came in the last reconciliation is between the divine and the shakti the nature what we call as nature they are not two they are one and this is the beauty that should be the brings in of course tantra explored it in another way so if you ask the tantrics they will simply say who says of course you know the shakti is there they are one in who are two so if you look at creation we see the dance of shakti and then we see the purusha who is beyond creation and then he is indefinable beyond anything we may not even use the word purusha it's a way, purusha simply means that which exists doesn't mean a you know necessarily even though indian thought went further and gave him the form of a man standing you know because it was a great tribute to man that he can become he has come from the purusha and can become that that was the basic idea so i think what they missed out is the final reconciliation between the purusha aspect the static aspect and the dynamic aspect of the divine which rubindo brings yes continuation of this discussion yeah so the india went through the, the influence of buddhistic ideas and then shankaracharya's ideas basically denying the world yes was it an evolutionary necessity Yes. So yes. This this is a very very uh, very important question, and and in a certain sense, it's a difficult question. I must say, was it a spiritual necessity? Well, in a certain sense, yes, because always there is a wisdom. But what was the necessity of it? Is because of two three things. See, uh, post Vedic area, already when we see that. later part of the vedic age already people were mixing up works and karma kanda as one so you know the real essence was lost and karma kanda came into being then the upanishad came in to correct this imbalance and you know took a different route for paucity of time we are not going into that but it's a very interesting subject which you have raised but again it gave very fixed forms and structures and what buddha did was he broke those structures in which you know the truth had entrenched itself so at that point of time definitely it was a necessity a spiritual necessity otherwise we would have formed another great religion like the great you know religions which have emerged but he had to break it 
Now the moment he broke it, basically what Shankara did, he wanted to contradict Buddha but ended up affirming him. <laughs> Except that he called it the one and Buddha didn't call it the one. He simply called the you know permanent or you know refused to give any name. This was a big step needed even though yes it led to 2000 years of uh, ruin or decline. But it prevented Indian thought from becoming a fixed religion like many religions became. Because if you look at subsequent to Buddhism and Shankaracharya, so many streams of spirituality came up, exploring the one like, like many, many things, you know, many, many streams running towards the sea. And the result was multiple approaches, multiple ways through which uh, I suppose it happened also because suddenly it led to, you know, the human consciousness deep inside must have felt a great anguish. That what is this? And it opened into many channels towards the divine. There's also a story in uh, in the, the Vishnu Puran, that, which is a very occult scripture and Shobindo speaks about it. Basically, Buddha came to take the Asuras away from the creation. He is called there as Mayamo. Because it is very easy to turn towards something which is, there is no divine. You know, it, it is very appealing. <laughs> I don't have to surrender. Though Buddha didn't do that. Buddha also said, Buddham Sharnam Gachami. Of course, Buddha not as a being, but as a state of consciousness. Enlightenment, the light. Buddham Sharnam Gachami, Sangham Sharnam Gachami, Dharmam Sharnam Gachami. But that part is taken away. This part of Buddha people hold on to. So it, it was an evolutionary necessity. There is a whole bulk of humanity or consciousness which could turn only this way. Which is not ready for surrender. Which is not ready for uh, the simple act of faith and love. So he did serve a purpose. But the consequences were of course there. We can use the word calculated risk by the divine, but thousands of years of solid decline, yet a necessity in the deepest sense. For the rest of the humanity outside of India, yes, they went through completely different. That's why. But if you if you see, Buddhism could never take roots in India. Look at it; it's very interesting. Buddhism could never take roots in India. Look at where it has taken roots. Precisely where, you know, faith, devotion, surrender doesn't come naturally. So, that part of humanity got nourished in some way or the other of the spiritual impulse. And to a certain extent, he sustained the balance. He is shown as an avatar of Vishnu who comes to sustain the balance. So, it did serve a purpose. Even though it originated in India, it could never take. Because ultimately, in India, it's a land where the psychic law predominates. Whether we like it or not, uh, it's there in, in the very blood. So it cannot take roots. One last thing I think Madhvediji wants to say. Talked about uh, lesser divinity and greater divinity. Yes, Manif- in manifestation. So is it not uh, less expressed and more? Yes, that's what. In manifestation, that's why I corrected. Less manifested and more manifested. Let's put it like this, that a child in the womb, a child, two-year-old, a child, five-year-old, a fifteen-year-old, adolescent, adult, they are all, if you ask the parent, my child, my child, my child. Because later, the mm-hmm. and lesser divinity doesn't mean... Yeah, only in... It cannot be have anything. Yes, but only in manifestation, 
In fact, this is a term used by Shurabindu. From lesser state of divinity to a greater divinity, only in manifestation this would apply because otherwise we will be disoriented, you know, because everything is divine. This is the great Vakya of the Ishupanishad. Atme Vabhud Vijanata. So, it's true that all is an extension of the divine. But practically then how do we navigate through life? We can't have bonhomie with, you know, everything and say, well, maybe, you know, I can do it in as if I am following the Zen Buddhist path. But it's not an evolutionary path. For Shiva, the path which leads out of manifestation is valid. So, you know, we can have a bonhomie. But for the evolutionary path, which the lineage of Krishna and that represents, you know, there are two spiritual basic spiritual path, one which takes us out of manifestation. When we are out of manifestation, it doesn't matter. There is a state of consciousness where we can do a total bonhomie. It doesn't matter at all because everything in a sense is divine. But in the evolutionary process, we make a distinction between a lesser divinity and a greater divinity. Ravana is divine, no doubt about it. And so is Rama. But in the evolutionary process, Rama must kill Ravana and pass beyond and humanize humanity. So that's where the problem comes. Otherwise, in evolution we have to make the distinction. Otherwise it's not necessary. But since we are following the path of manifesting divine, so we have to make, it's necessary for us to know the difference. So I think time up and we meet tomorrow again. <laughs>